You're listening to the Touchdown Under podcast with Jack, Emilian, Anthony, and Arif. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Touchdown Under podcast. This is episode nine. I'm Jack, your host, and as always, I'm joined by Emilian. Hey, how's it going? Anthony. Good to be here. And Arif. Happy to be back. Now, on today's podcast, we'll be going through our division power rankings, which we uploaded on our Instagram page at touch.down.under if you would like to follow along with us. But before we get into that, we will kick it off with our new segment. And making news this week in the NFL was the Washington football franchise who has officially confirmed that it will officially undergo a name change after a thorough review of the team's name and brand. Boys, did Washington make the right decision here? I think that they did, considering how much times have changed. And the term Redskin is a derogatory term, derogatory term and it is offensive. I do think they made the right decision. Um, hopefully, the name change is a good one. Hopefully, you know, it ends up being a, you know, a good rebrand. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Million. It's hard to say that, this, that the, the name Redskins was you know, a name that was looked upon lightly by the community. Clearly, there's a lot of tension between, you know, the outside media and, you know, the um, the managing group of the Redskins that the name wasn't, you know, wasn't suitable, didn't reflect, you know, the standards of the community. So I reckon it is a good decision, just like you said, Emilian. I hope they do rebrand correctly and, do, and, you know, come up with a good name for the team. Yeah, it would be nice if it was a, a good name that we... That I guess the majority of fans of the NFL appreciate, but I think it's just really important that they go through this process. And no matter what the name is, it should be changed because the Redskins is quite offensive to Native American people. Agreed. Now, onto news which uh, made news this morning was the Washington Post has released a bombshell report in which 15 former female employees of the Washington football franchise spoke about a culture of verbal abuse and sexual harassment that went largely unpunished, compounded by a seemingly non-existent human resources department. But now these allegations, uh, these are allegations and nothing is concrete, but it certainly looks as if there's even more scrutiny and controversy surrounding Washington's football organisation. Boys, what do you reckon? I mean, the Washington football organization, I mean, the management has been horrible for ages right now under, you know, the ownership of Dan Snyder. And honestly, just the fact that it's happening with this organization, it makes me wonder if there, if it's happening in other organizations as well. Mm. And it is quite concerning to see that, you know, all of this is happening and it's being revealed right now. Yeah, there's no way you can look at this and there's no good that can come from a report like this at all, obviously. I think uh, aside to this, that, probably hasn't been considered yet is probably like the fact that hasn't on the players. Like there'd probably rumors within the locker room that stuff is going on in the background in terms of the management of the franchise. And that can't have a good, you know, a positive effect on the players. So I think, I think in terms of how the, the team is performing, it wouldn't help. And it's probably some reason why they've been, Red Seeds haven't been very good such a long time, but also like ethically, this is just terrible news if it is indeed true. The allegations are quite disturbing, honestly, especially some of the stuff that was said about um, just 
the passports being taken and them not being able to leave like it's it's really disturbing but the the main thing is is that all of this gets sorted um and we all can move on from this because the Washington Redskins have been in the media quite a bit this off season yeah obviously things have gotten from bad to worse for Washington one concern do you have about this is if these allegations are in fact true then I would have some serious concerns about the possibility of players actually being involved in what the coach and the owner were doing. And I mean, I feel like where there's smoke, there's fire, there may be more that comes out of this, more things that haven't been told yet. But I would really hope if I was a a Washington fan right now that, you know, my players weren't involved in what management was taking part in. In other league news, the deadline for franchise tagged players to work out extensions with their teams passed on Thursday morning. Players who were able to secure a long-term contract include Kansas City defensive lineman Chris Jones, Tennessee running back Derek Henry, and Cleveland defensive lineman Miles Garrett. Boys, what do you think of these uh, contracts? You know, I think that you know Chris Jones is the best defensive player on his team. Derrick Henry's the best player. Derrick Henry and Miles Garrett are the best players on their team, in my opinion. So I think that, you know, it's really important that these teams, you know, make sure they have these players for the foreseeable future. And I think they did a good job in locking them up. Uh, yeah, it's good to see. And then we'll get to the, you know, players who didn't secure a contract. But I don't think those players are as valuable as these three here. Yeah, building on what you said, Nulian, I think the players that you've listed, Jack, they're not just like they're not just stars. They're pillars to the teams. They're not, you know, they're they're essential. They need to keep them if they're to have that, like, you know, that, you know, product productivity. Especially the defensive players. You know, Miles Garrett, essential to his team. Derek Henry. We saw, you know, how crucial he is. So it's important that you know these guys signed on. It's in, it'll be interesting to see in the future how all of these teams cap space that you mentioned, Jack will be affected because in in regards to Kansas City, they had to re-sign Patrick Mahomes to a huge, almost $50 million a year contract. They also have another fellow D-lineman, Frank Clark, who's on $20 million a year. So they, although this was very important for them to bring Chris Jones back, I, I, I'm very curious to see how this will affect them financially in the future. That's a really good point you raise there, Riff. Obviously, you know, Rick Mahomes being signed to that massive contract, I was frankly quite surprised, you know, they ended up signing Chris Jones. I think it may prove detrimental to, the, to their cap space in the future. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, obviously... Uh, with Derek Henry re-signing in Tennessee, I think that was really important for them. I, I honestly wasn't expecting him to sign. I thought he'd play out his franchise tag and then maybe test for agency. But now that they've got him locked down for the future and, you know, they've got Tannehill at quarterback, I think there's a real, real chance for them to really build on, you know, what they started last season. As for Garrett, I don't know necessarily if I agree with you, Emilio, that he's the best player on there. He's definitely the best defensive player there, and it was obvious that they get him locked in for another five years. Now, notable players who have a long-term contract and will play out their one-year deals include 
Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Arizona running back Kenyon Drake. Minnesota safety Anthony Harris. Denver safety Justin Simmons. Boys, what what kind of impact do we think these guys not signing will have on their teams? You know, as I said before, these players aren't, you know, as important to the team, in my opinion, as the ones who did sign these long-term contracts. I mean, sure, Dak Prescott is a quarterback and that is valuable. I just think that maybe a change of quarterback on the Cowboys is probably a good idea. Uh, with Shaquille Barrett, I think that, you know, one good season, one incredible season doesn't justify, you know, being a great player. You know, he's had that one great season, but he hasn't proven that he can replicate that going forward. Um, Kenyon Drake, I'm surprised that he didn't sign um, a long-term deal. I think that, you know, the Cardinals played really well with him. And hopefully, you know, he signs, he re-signs with them in free agency next year. Uh, with the other two safeties, I think that, you know, it's not essential that they keep them. But I think, you know, they've got, they're, they're really good players and any team would benefit from having them. Yeah, I think the biggest story uh, out of all these um, names, he has to be Dak Prescott for the Cowboys. Um, for the looks of things, I don't, I honestly don't see him being there in the long term. I know it's, you, you never know what, what could play out in the future. But just the fact that he, you know, is demanding so much, so he's expecting to get paid a lot and he's not going to get that. Well, so the Cowboys have uh, signified so far. I think it's a big story. But, um, but yeah, like you said, a million with Shaquille Barrett, one good season, not proving, you know, you're worth for a big contract. I reckon that's definitely that's definitely fair enough. And yeah, basically the, the gist of this is that basically with the, t- the players that did get signed, like Chris Jones, Derek Henry, and Miles Garrett, they're the you know the pillars on their de- on the defense and offense for their teams. Where these players aren't so much that, and therefore that's why I haven't gotten that big tr- contract yet. Yeah, I, I don't see Dak Prescott returning to Dallas either, especially, especially considering he turned down a contract that was worth over $100 million guaranteed. So I, I don't see how the Cowboys can really better that offer without um, that impacting them severely financially in the future. And I definitely agree with your point, Emilian, about Shaquille Barrett. I think it would have been a pretty big mistake if they gave him some kind of money in like the $20 million per year range after just that one season. As incredible as it was, you don't know if he'll be able to perform at that level again in regards to the two safeties especially Anthony Harris I feel like the Miami uh, sorry not Miami the Minnesota secondary has really taken a step back already this offseason and if they were to lose Anthony Harris next season I'm not sure how they would really be able to cope with that so I think it's important that they lock down Anthony Harris and Denver locks down Justin Simmons as well in the long term. You make some good points there, Riff. I just want to mention with Dak Prescott, I don't know where he thinks he's getting... Like, the offer he got from Jerry Jones, I don't know where else he thinks he's going to get money from. Like, who is going to offer anywhere near that amount of money apart from Jerry Jones? Jerry Jones is the only guy who will give Dak Prescott that much money and he still turned it down. Honestly, I hope he doesn't stay in Dallas. I wouldn't mind seeing Andy Dalton get a run there next season. But not signing long-term is on Dak here. He got the offer that he should have taken and didn't. That's on him. Uh, I mean... And 
I mean, Andy Dalton is really not that much of a step down um, in that offense, I believe. Hmm. As for Harris, Arif, I agree. He's after the, after who they lost in the offseason. Harris becomes a massive part of that defense, and after being undrafted, he's turned out to be a really nice add for them. And it would be a shame if they would uh, lose him now after not being able to sign him long term. Uh, Dalton, I like the point you made about Andy Dalton possibly starting next season. I think especially since he played at the Cincinnati Bengals his entire career and they weren't exactly like an elite team and he never really got to show his arm talent. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens next season. I agree. Now, with that out of the way, we can move on to our division power rankings and we'll be discussing our rankings from eight through to one. And just before we get into it, I would like to rankings off of the strength of the teams in these divisions. You know, we're not basing it, you know, specifically off of competitiveness. It's mainly based on the strength of each of the teams in this division. So at number eight, we have the NFC East and uh, Philadelphia Eagles carry this division. They're the best team in this division by far. Um, not only are they playoff contenders, I think they can make a real push for the number one seed in the NFC if they can stay relatively injury-free. The Cowboys are, you know, considered playoff contenders as they are every season, really, but I just don't see it. I don't see them really pushing for one of those playoff spots. And obviously, as for the Redskins and Giants, they have, you know, more extensive long-term. Um, they're both rebuilding. It'll take, it'll take a few more seasons for them to become relevant in the playoff picture. Yeah, I think, as you said, Jack, this is clearly the worst division in the league. I think the Eagles and Cowboys are the only viable teams to make the playoffs. And even then, I don't think either of them are good enough to get a first-round bye. Um, I know you think differently, Jack, but I I just think that, you know, these are two good teams, uh, maybe great at very best for the Eagles. Uh, on the other side of the division, you have the Redskins and the Giants, who are two of the worst teams in the league. And they haven't significantly improved enough this offseason for them to be taken more seriously. And that severely hurts, you know, this division's viability in this list. Um, they do have two very young quarterbacks. So I guess my question to any of you guys is, do you think Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins can improve these teams to, uh, this season to elevate the division? I think Dwayne Haskins out of the two is the most likely have the biggest impact on his team just because of the kind of breakout talent they're having on that roster. I mean, in in many of our episodes, we've talked about the emergence of Terry McLaurin. I think if Haskins is able to get going, that will be very beneficial because they used to play with each other at Ohio State. I know Daniel Jones was assured at times last season that he's capable but I don't think he has the kind of upside that Dwayne Haskins does. I disagree there, Riff. I don't see much, didn't see much from Haskins last season at all to be able to say that he's got promise. Um, yeah. Especially in that Tampa Bay game, really showed what he can do. And he really proved doubters wrong of. 
Um, you know, his throwing abilities, accuracy. I feel like with a stable offensive line, he could, you know, end up doing a lot of damage in this league. I definitely think he has a better play projection than Haskins does. And therefore, I feel like the Giants are in a better position, you know, for the future as, you know, compared to the Redskins, Anthony. Yeah, yeah. I, as you said, you know, Daniel Jones played out like the, the full season when Dwayne Haskins didn't, you know, started only a few games. Didn't We don't have an, haven't seen enough of Dwayne Haskins at this moment to say he's definitely, definitively better than Daniel Jones. I think... I think it's up to that offensive line because especially rookie rookie um quarterback going up against, you know, in that kind of offense with that kind of offensive line, it's a big ask for him to step up and, you know, perform really like well. And especially in that division, you know, you can't we can't expect first up, you can't expect, you know, much from both of them. But I think we've seen more of Daniel Jones and that alone shows just proves that he's probably the better quarterback at the moment. But going forward, we could see anything, you know, between these two teams. They're probably equally matched in terms of their form and their skill at the moment. So, yeah. On to number seven, and we have the AFC East. Uh, The Patriots' offense was really predictable last season with Brady under centre, but with Newton now, they really take on a whole new identity. And honestly, I still think they're the best team in this division and a really sneaky playoff dark horse Obviously, the Bills will continue to get better, and they, you know, they have every chance to beat the Patriots for the division title. Um, but those two teams are what carries this division. Obviously, you've got the Jets and the Dolphins there as well. I feel like the Jets have potential with Darnold, especially. They drafted Denzel Mims. I like him a lot. They've got a pretty decent defense if they can keep Jamal Adams, which I don't know if they can. But they do have potential, uh, as do the Dolphins. But I think with those two teams, we'll have to wait a little bit longer to, until they start really delivering on their promise. I like the point you made there, Jack, about the potential of the Jets. I think that Sam Donald is, you know, one of those QBs that, you know, has a really high ceiling. And I think, you know, the biggest problem with the Jets' offense is that the offensive line just wasn't where it needs to be. And Sam Donald didn't really have any weapons to throw to. So, you know, considering what he's been able to do with what he has, you know, it's really, you know, it makes a good impression on the future. Uh, regarding the Bills and the Patriots, I definitely think that the Bills have the division. It's theirs to lose at the moment. I think their defense is just getting better and better. I think Al- Josh Allen is getting better and better. And, you know, the addition of Stefan Diggs just adds a deep threat to that offense. Um, that doesn't mean the Patriots are out of the running either. I mean, they still have a good chance of winning it with the newly signed Cam Newton. Uh, as for the Dolphins, I do think a lot of people have overlooked the changes they've made in the offseason. You know, they started by drafting Tua Tagovailoa, then they acquired Matt Breed off some speed in the run game, and they strengthened the defense with uh, Kyle Noy and Byron Jones. So I really think that Dolphins, you know, can elevate themselves definitely from what they did last season. And, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see. Yeah, um, point you made about the Jets. Um, so obviously the, – the, they have got Le'Veon Bell a couple of seasons ago. Um, hadn't produced nearly enough to the level he did in Pittsburgh. So in, in the draft this season, uh, the Jets went out and got offensive tackle Mackay Becton in the first round, right? When a team does that, I really think, obviously, they're emphasising, yeah, of course, trying to fix their you know, offensive line. But they know that they have a three-time pro bowl in Le'Veon Bell. And being able to fix that offensive line will, go, you know, will, work and will do a lot um, for rebuilding that team you know, to go forward, become more competitive in the division. I think 
I think looking at that division as a whole, it's kind of like two subdivisions. You've got New England and the Bills on that like top tier, and you've got the Jets and the Dolphins in that clearly rebuilding phase. Um, I, don't know, I think it'd be really interesting to see the just Patriots and the Bills play each other um, in the season because I reckon they're last, – last season they were – obviously the, the Patriots were probably the better team in the end, but the Bills weren't that far off from winning both of the games they played against New England. They were – they lost by less than a touchdown in the end. Of, in the end, so I reckon with loss of, with loss of Tom Brady, you know, bringing in Cam Newton and the Bills bringing in Stephon Diggs, I think that this division, at least the top half of this division, is pretty even. When I first saw Brady leave the Patriots, I was a bit concerned. I guess I think my concerns are kind of disappeared when I thought about how good their defense actually is i mean they have one of the best defenses in the league and then they went ahead and got cam newton on a very very low money contract so it's a very low risk contract there i think that the bills and patriots as you guys have mentioned will stay they're they're probably the only two teams with a chance at the playoffs i also liked your point anthony about um the jets almost like commitment to fixing their run game they do have an incredible player at running back in Le'Veon Bell. And they really, I guess, asserted themselves when in the draft they selected Mackay Becton. He's he's an absolute monster. He's like six foot eight, three three hundred and sixty-five pounds. Yeah, exactly. If if that's not a commitment to the run game, I don't know what is, especially since they went out and got some incredibly fast receivers. Yeah, also. Um I can leave on Bell, you know, watching that draft at home and seeing them get a defensive tackle player in the first round. He'd be pretty pumped up to start the season knowing he's got some, got some good protection, you know, on that offensive line, yeah. I, I have a question for all of you guys. Uh, out of the two young quarterbacks that were taken in the same draft in the, in the top 10, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, who do you guys hold more optimism for in the future? I think that right now, if we're talking about near future, you know, the next three years, I would say Josh Allen, because he's got a better team around him, I think that he can really thrive, you know, of having a great defense and now having, you know, some viable. I think he put Sam Donald in the Bills team and that Bills offense, you know, he could definitely flourish and also, you know, be a great quarterback. Yeah, it's kind of a hard debate to have because, you you know, you don't, they're not obviously in two different teams, one at a completely different level to another. So it's, so, I mean, at this point, we've seen what, you know, Josh Allen can do in the build. So you have to say he would be the better quarterback out of those two. But then again, if Sam Donald got drafted to the Bills and it was like inverted, you know, you could say you, we would never, you know, I reckon that Sam Donald could definitely have had the same production, if not even more than Josh Allen has had in the, with the Bills. It's a good question you ask there, Arif. And it's a good point you make a million because... Uh, as you guys know, I definitely hold Donald in a higher regard than I do Josh Allen. Uh, if Donald was playing in Buffalo, um, I feel like they'd have even better prospects as a team. But you know, Josh Allen isn't bad. I just don't really think... I think he's got accuracy issues, and I don't know whether we're going to see those kinds of issues resolve um, anytime soon. But with, with Donald, the point you guys made about Mackay Beckham is obviously relevant for Bell, but it's also just as relevant for yeah. Donald because it helps by extension. And uh, as they continue to build 
around Donald in New York, I think they will eventually start threatening, um, you know, the Patriots and the Bills, but um, not this season. And, uh, but Emilian, you made a good point uh, a little bit earlier about what the Dolphins did this offseason. And I really liked, you know, the additions they made on defense. I think they signed with the, one of the best defensive backs in the game in Byron Jones. They added some really, really quality veteran presence in Carl Van Noy. And obviously, you can, you know, learn behind Fitzpatrick for however long, however long he needs to. But, um, yeah, obviously you've got those two good teams at the top and those two developmental teams, as you said, as you said Anthony. And I think that's really where this division is right now. Yeah. At number six, we have FC South. Uh, I think there are three really decent teams in the AFC South. And I think this division has the potential to be really formidable. Obviously, the Colts have multiple areas, you know, versus Jacobs, veteran leadership. Um, and, you know, th- th- they've got receivers there, uh, you know, in T.Y. Hilton, you know, you've got Jack Doyle at tight end. Um, Pascal, they've got targets there and they've got a good offensive line. You know, you've got Quentin Nelson there at guard. I like what they did uh, on defense as well, uh, training for DeForest Buckner. They've obviously got Justin Houston there as well. Um, the Texans, Sean Watson is still there. Good young wide receivers. You know, they've got Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, um, KK Kute. They've got a good defense still. You know, JJ Watt, he's aging, but he's still there. Um, and, you know, your obviously is mostly kept their 2019 squad intact, you know, and they also uh, lifted a really large burden off their shoulders by extending Derrick Henry. So I think there are three really good teams and I really don't know who's going to win the division this year. Yeah, as far as, you know, competition goes, I think this is one of the best divisions in the league, you know, where you've got three teams that are all on the same level. In my opinion, I think Texans are going to slightly decline. I think the Titans are going to slightly improve. I think the Colts, as you mentioned, Jack, you know, the, the changes they've made, I think, are going to benefit greatly, especially with Philip Rivers. I mean, the, the problems he had last year were really that he didn't move around the pocket and he didn't have a good offensive line. So now he's in, a, in an offense, you know, with one of the best offensive lines in the league, and I think he'll really benefit from that. Uh, it is going to be a battle between those three teams to win the division. And I think it's quite underrated because you look at the past three years and they've been able to send two teams to the playoffs, you know? So I guess my question is to Arif, I'd say, uh, do you think the AFC South will have two teams in the playoffs this season or will the winner of the division be the only team there? I'm, I'm almost certain that there will be two teams in the playoffs next season, especially with that added wildcard spot. I think that really gives almost even an opportunity for there to be, you know, three because... I look at these three teams and I I just see a lot of, especially with the Texans and Titans, they brought back so many of their starters that already took them to the playoffs. And then you have the Colts, as you mentioned, with their, um, I guess, with their nice young offensive line, which will really help Phillip Rivers play as a pocket passer. I think, the Titans are a team that I think are almost a lock to make the playoffs. And I think the Texans and Colts possibly will be battling for a wild card spot. Yeah, I believe for me, the Colts will, will anticipate they'll be the biggest improvers in this division. 
they acquired DeForest Buckner, you know, in the offseason, instantly adds talent to the defensive line. Uh, additionally, adding Xavier Rhodes will hopefully allow him to, re- to return to career best form, which he had in 2016 with the Vikings. If that can happen, there will be another terrific addition for, the, for their secondary. Additionally, we mentioned before, Philip Rivers coming to the Colts will add a more stable veteran presence, I reckon, which, you know, they have, they've, had, they've had shaky quarterback play in the past, you know, uh, Andrew Luck getting injured, Kobe Brissett having to come in. I think if Philip Rivers can stay healthy uh, in, the, in Indianapolis, I reckon they can have, finally take, you know, go deep into the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Yeah, the Colts' defense is looking much improved. I mean, obviously, you mentioned DeForest Buckner and Xavier Rhodes, but they got some young players coming up, as we mentioned in previous episodes. You know, Kenny Moore, um, Darius Leonard, sorry, Darius Leonard, and then obviously the ageless wonder, Justin Houston. So there's a real possibility there um, for a playoff push. I also want to mention that, you know, having the Jaguars in this division severely holds it back from being, you know, in the top four. I think that, you know, they're such a, a kind of like a dumpster fight team at the moment. You know, they don't they lost all their key pieces. It seems they crumbled from their 2017 season. I mean, I hope they can get back on track. That's a good point you're making, Million. And it's a good question you ask about how many teams they send to the playoffs. I think, you know, there's every chance they could send three teams, but I definitely think they will at least send two. On to number five now, and we have the AFC West. I think this division has a lot of potential, but I'm not really sure that I buy into it just yet. You know, the Chiefs are obviously the headline act of this division. But I think after that, the Broncos and Chargers have a lot of talent, especially defensively, which could possibly elevate them to playoff contention this season. However, both Denver and the Chargers, you know, they have large question marks hovering over their quarterback play. We haven't seen quite enough from Drew Locke to be able to say he's the definitive franchise quarterback. And obviously there's a question mark in Los Angeles with Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, For me, the Raiders are the team that I have the least faith in. They improved in a few areas of the offseason, especially at linebacker, but I do not believe that they will challenge for a playoff spot this season. There's just not enough there um, for me to believe that they can make it in a tough AFC. I think that this division should be higher on this list in the reason that is I believe that every team here has a legitimate chance at making the playoffs. You mentioned, Jack, that you have the least faith in the Raiders when they were, you know, they were so close to actually making the playoffs last season. They strengthened their linebacker core, which is one of their biggest problems. I think they've definitely still got a chance to make the playoffs next season. As you mentioned with Drew Locke, you know, we haven't seen enough of him. But, I mean, we I liked what I saw from the Broncos, you know, once he started playing. And I think if he can, you know, kind of play at that similar level, I think they're definitely, you know, a chance to play in a wild card spot. The Chargers, there's a, they have a big question mark at quarterback, but I think that, you know, a lot of their... A lot of the reason for the poor QB play was, as I said before with Rivers, he didn't move around the pocket enough and behind a bad offensive line, that's not good. Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert, they're both much more mobile than Philip Rivers. So I think if they, you know, can get a bit of movement in the pocket, you know, avoid sacks, it's going to help the Chargers offense a lot. And I do believe that the additions they've made on defense, you know, mainly with uh, with Chris Harris is going to boost the entire, elevate the entire defense enough to maybe carry that offense. And it certainly doesn't hurt this division that, you know, you've got the best team in the league in the Chiefs. They're obviously going to win it again. 
but that's that's not to say there are any bad teams in this in this division. I think there's one elite team, and then there's three average to good teams. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Million. There's there's no way you can say that there's you know any more than just one. You know, the Chiefs are definitely the elite team here. The Broncos, Raiders, and Chargers, you know, are not elite. They've no, no other team in this division had a winning record, but the Chiefs. And I mean, I'm not sold that this division should be where it is on the list at, at fifth ahead of like the AFC South that we had at, at um at sixth. I feel like, like I mentioned before, I feel like AFC South AFC South is like three legitimate competitors and one you know, not so good team. I feel like this is not not completely inversed, but I feel like the difference between the Chiefs and the rest of the division is just too much. I mean, I think there's a, you mentioned I mean, there's a lot of question the massive question mark at quarterback for the Chargers. I'm not sold that Tyro Taylor or Justin Herbert can solve the issues that they have. Um, even if they're more, co- even if they're more mobile, I'm not just I'm not, not sold on them adjusting to playing under a different quarterback. Considering they've played under Philip Rivers for the last you know decade, so yeah, I, I I'm not sold that this division should be raised on the, on, the, on this list. I just want to go back to your point, Anthony. You said that you know the AFC South you know has three competitive teams. I agree, it's a more competitive division as to who will win it. But the AFC South doesn't have a team that's on the level of the Chiefs. And the AFC yeah. West doesn't have a team that's as bad as the Jaguars. And that's why I think the AFC West is definitely a lot stronger than the NF- a- AFC South. Yeah, but well, I think AFC West is not as well-rounded. Like, like you have, like, I know the Jags are, like, way, way off from the rest of the AFC South. But you only have, you have what? Okay, so in the AFC South, you have uh, two winning, two teams had a winning record last season, the Colts just missed out. But with the AFC West, you have three teams with a losing record. And the Chiefs had six games, had won six games more than the second place Broncos in that division. That just shows how much of a gap there is in this in this division. I agree with you there. That's a really good point, Anthony, because obviously the AFC West, their worst team is the Raiders and they are better than the Jaguars, you could say, even though, they, even though the Jaguars beat them last season. Um the Raiders are probably better than the Jaguars. However, if you look at the the three teams they have, obviously you've got the Chiefs who are better than everyone else, but then the Titans, the Texans, and the Colts are all better than the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Raiders. Like those three teams are they're closer to the Chiefs than they are to those other teams. Like the Titans are close to where the Chiefs are. Like you know, they're close to their level. And you've got those three teams in the AFC South who are, you know, much... Well, I, I'd say they are, you know, considerably better than how the Broncos and Chargers played last season, especially the Raiders. I just want to make a point, uh, Emilian, you're talking about how the Raiders were very close last season. I don't know if they deserve to be as close as they were. That They had a reasonably easy schedule. You know, they came up against teams like the Lions. You know, they played the Chargers twice. They had the Bengals, Jets, Jaguars... You know, they lost 34-3 against the Jets. They lost at home against the Jaguars, you know. Jack, I definitely agree. You know, the Raiders didn't deserve to be in the playoffs last season. I'm just saying that, you know, they were close. If they had won, you know, some of those more important games against bigger teams, then they definitely would have been there. And I hope that they can fix, you know, those issues of, you know, not being able to play when it matters. Um, But, yeah. I think the AFC South – I agree with your point, Anthony. I think the AFC South should be – above the AFC West. And the re- my reasoning for that is not too dissimilar from what you guys have said, but I'd also like to 
make the point that with the Broncos and Raiders, they have the potential to be two teams that can compete with the Chiefs in the future. It's just that they're really unproven. Like, as you mentioned, Jack, we're not sure what we're going to get from Drew Locke. We haven't seen a whole lot so far. They also have, you know, two two of their starting receivers will be rookies. They have Melvin Gordon, who just came into town. And on defense, you know, Jarrell Casey just came. Like, they, they got a lot of new players that maybe haven't really – they'll have to get used to the Denver system. And, and you know, playing play in that altitude and that, that kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot of variables – that will that they'll have to overcome to make them a good team and and same with the Raiders I I kind of see like I, I see where you're coming from a million about them you know possibly making a playoff push but I'm not sure if they can do it in the coming season I think out of these out of those three teams the Chargers if they can get their quarterback situation going I think they have the best chance especially with their incredible secondary consisting of Chris Harris Jr., Casey Hayward Jr., and Derwin James. But Kansas City is undoubtedly the favorite to win this division. On to the NFC North now at number four. Uh, you know, the NFC North is another really competitive division with no clear standout team um, as the favorite to win the division. I mean, I see the Bears improving after a disappointing 2019 campaign. I see the Packers regressing in Matt LaFleur's second year at the helm. And I it's a real mystery considering all the changes they made in the offseason, especially on defense. Um, I think the Lions will improve slightly, but not quite enough to elevate them into the playoff conversation. But overall, it's a pretty competitive division. And I feel like, you know, the Packers, Vikings, and Bears all have a chance. Um, at playoffs, and they really all have a chance at, um, you know, being pretty decent teams. And I think that's elevates this division to where it is in our rankings. Yeah, I agree. I think that this division is on the same level as the AFC South. I think it's really competitive because there are three teams that are all, you know, at that good level. But none of these teams are actually great, in my opinion. I think the Packers were lucky to be 13-3 last season. As you said, Jack, I also... Uh, predict a regression from them. The Vikings went 10-6 and six last year and they lost key pieces in offseason. So I think there's a big question mark, you know, regarding them. And I don't think the Bears will be able to return to their 2018 form with either And the Lions also hold this division back. I think that if Stafford could stay healthy, they'd be around, you know, the 5-11, and 6-10 and 10 mark. So, you know, it's it's a good division. You've got, you've got three solid good teams there and then one bad team. Anthony, do you believe that there is an elite team in this division? Um, no, I definitely don't think there's an elite team. I think, well, you could make a case that, uh, actually, no, 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 there's no elite team in this division. I just think there's too many question marks surrounding the Packers, Vikings, and Bears. The Lions would only assume that they get better coming off their three-win season last year. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Jack, well, the top three teams um, – based on the standings last year, there's so, there's so many question marks, uh, you know, surrounding each one of them. You know, can the Packers' offense, you know, get back to the level that they were at in 2019? Can the Vikings, you know, can they overcome all the issues with, you know, losing key defensive players? And the Bears, can they return to the 2018 level of, of their defense? I think there's a lot of cases to say, yes, these teams can. And 
equally as much to say these teams can't. So I think come the middle of the season, this could be a very different NFC North to what we have it on our standings now. It could be a lot worse division, could be a lot better. But I think at the moment, it's pretty even. That's why we have it fourth. Yeah, I really liked your comparison of the NFC North to the AFC South, Amelia. I think there's there's kind of like some similar things there. I I think that, Anthony, you're right in saying there's, there's probably not an elite team in this division. But I think if we had to pick one, or if I had to pick one, sorry, I think I'd, I'd pick the Packers just based off Aaron Rodgers' talent and his ability to just, you know, almost kind of carry the, the team on his back. He's, he's got a really good offensive line. I think most teams with above average offensive lines have the ability to be an elite team. And obviously their, their defense is quite good as well. But, you know, this, this division does have a lot of question marks and I'll be interested to see how it all turns out next season. I agree, Riff. I don't think there is an elite team in this division, but the team that would come closest would have to be Green Bay based on, obviously, who's under centre for them, as well as uh, how they played last season. They did play well. It was one of the... wasn't you know, the best 13-3 and season we've ever seen, but they did... You know, they were 13-3. and They played good football, I think, they're worthy of being benched in the elite discussion, but I don't think they're elite either. Um, I think for one of these you know, three teams to become elite again this season, but we'll just have to wait and see. At number three on our rankings, we have the AFC North. Uh, and while the Ravens are the clear standout here, in my opinion, I see the Browns and the Steelers pushing for a wild card playoff spot. Cincinnati obviously won't challenge in 2020, but if Joe Burrow shows enough promise throughout his rookie campaign, they could be primed for a playoff push either in 2021 or 2022. Overall, this division is pretty stacked. And I think once the Bengals join the party in the coming seasons, it could end up being a four-horse race with the Browns and Steelers continuing to, you know, try and move up to the level of Baltimore. Yeah, this is a division that has just so much talent. It's hard to rank them lower than third on this list. I mean, the Ravens are obviously one of the best teams in the league. But for me, the most interesting part in this division is the Steelers and the Browns. You know, last season, the Steelers' defense was incredible and it almost carried them to the playoffs. You know, they had terrible QB play and their offense suffered from that. Their defense was able to, you know, consistently stay at an elite level. And I think with a healthy Ben Roethlisberger, I'm sure they'll compete for the division title this season. I don't think the Ravens are going to be as good here as they were last year. Um, the Browns on paper are an incredible team. And I think a lot of their failure last year can be attributed to Freddie Kitchens. That being said, it is a make or break year for Baker Mayfield. And if he can play at a similar level to his rookie season, I don't see why the Browns can't also compete for the division as long as, as well as the you know Steelers and the Ravens. Uh, I do want to ask Arif, because you know you've got a lot of concerns about Roethlisberger, do you reckon if he stays healthy and plays at the level we're used to seeing from him, and that if Baker Mayfield plays at that 2018 level, do you think that the Ravens still win the division? Uh, that's a good question, Emilian. Especially, obviously we have to consider the, the quarterback play, but I, I think the real, the real thing here is 
the Steelers' defense, I think they have the ability to rattle someone like Lamar Jackson. And if they could possibly win those two division games against the Ravens, that would put them in a really good place to maybe even jump them in in the division. I do have some concerns about Roethlisberger staying healthy, especially since he got injured in the first or second game in the season in 2019. But yes, if he is able to stay healthy, I don't see why they they can't even like topple the Ravens for the division team. Obviously, um, the Ravens are a great a really talented team and, and great to watch but it is really interesting to me to see if you know even the Browns if they could rattle um, Lamar Jackson try and keep him in the pocket with players such as Miles Garrett you know it'll be really interesting yeah. to see I just want to make a point about the Browns right so obviously last season uh, their ability to um, you know perform was hindered by their um, you know the coach in Freddie Hitch- Hitchens so they've gone off in the offseason, sacked him, and they've gone Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator from Minnesota. I really hope personally, I mean, it's not proven that any coach can just go in and fix the Browns. I've seen that countless times over so many years that, you know, a lot of coaches can't, you know, take, you know, take the Browns to that next level. But I hope, you know, with the roster they have, as you mentioned a million, they have stars all over that, you know, all over that roster on paper. Hopefully this is the break that they're looking for. And it, they can, you know, become competitive with the Steelers, the Ravens, and the Browns. If this, the, if the Browns can get to that same level as a, you know, as the Steelers and the Ravens to compete for the division, I can't see this not going to the going down to the wide, like to like the last play, like we saw again with, you know, against the um, with the 49ers and the Seahawks, where it came down to that last play to decide the division. I, we have every reason this could happen again in this division this year. Emilian, I liked your point about Baker Mayfield and this being a make or break here for him. Obviously, Freddie Kitchens is gone and I think he's out of excuses. Uh, I think, you know, if he doesn't uh, step up his game this season, I think he's trending towards bust status. Um, and, you know, God forbid the Browns will once again be looking for a new quarterback in the draft. So hopefully he can, you know, help the Browns elevate, uh, you know, up to that real division title contender can, uh, kind of spot where the, I think the Raven and the Steelers both are at this point. On to number two in our rankings now, and we have the NFC South. Uh, I think the NFC South is a pretty top-heavy division. You know, the Saints and the Buccaneers are likely to be true Super Bowl contenders. However, I think after those two teams, you know, there's a sizable drop-off. At this point in time, the Falcons and Panthers are mediocre at best, in my opinion. Both teams obviously made changes this offseason, but until we see it actually, you know, unfold on the field, these two teams are what, you know, is holding back this division from being number one. Yeah, a lot of this attention, uh, a lot of the attention in this division goes to the Saints, as you said, Jack, and the Bucks. You know, they're two powerhouse teams, and I think they both, you know, have the potential to go 13-3, and you know? Um, but I do want to talk about the Falcons. I think a lot of people are overlooking them because they didn't have a particularly good season last year. But I do think that the 7-9 record is misleading because of how different they looked in each half. I mean, they were 1-7 going into Week 10, and they managed to win six of their last eight games. I really do like what I saw, you know, in those last in that last stretch of games. They managed to beat the, you know, the top seed of 49ers. 
And I think it just shows that they've still got a great roster. You know, you've got Matt Ryan, Jared, Dante Fallon, Deion Jones on the defense. So I still think that they're definitely going to be able to compete for a wildcard spot, especially now with the new playoff format with three wildcard teams. With the Panthers, I'm not really sure what to expect from them. I mean, they've got a new quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, and it is an upgrade over Kyle Allen. And they've got one of the best players in the league in Christian McCaffrey. They've got some solid receivers. But I think that the departure of Luke Keekley, you know, his retirement is going to hurt this team a lot. I think he was the anchor of that defense, and I don't think it'll be any good without him. Jack, do you think that, you know, Keekley's absence will make one of the, will make the Panthers one of the worst teams in the league? I think Keekley is a massive loss for this Panthers defense. I, they also lost to James Bradbury at cornerback. I think their defense will be pretty subpar this season. However, adding over someone like Kyle Allen, and so I feel like as a whole, as a team, they will improve slightly from last season. However, I don't think they will, you know, improve to the point where they can be included in, you know, yeah, um, the playoff think, contention discussion. So in the first half of the season, the Falcons, you know, they didn't perform very well at all. They went, you know, they lost, they lost most of the games, and after that, they went, they won, they won six out of their last eight games. Uh, the defense was the defense was a massive um, talking point in the first half of the season, conceding you know over thirty points on a regular occasion. But but then towards the second half of the season, the, you know the defense got much better. But in the draft, they drafted four defensive players out of their six picks. Do you guys think that the Falcons deliberately went to that draft, you know, trying to fix their defense based on what happened in the first half of the two thousand nineteen season? Well, clearly, if they're picking only defensive players in defense. Defense is clearly a priority for them. I don't think they had to improve much about their offense, considering they um, they picked up Hayden Hurst, who is pretty underrated from the Ravens. Obviously, they lost uh, Austin Hooper, but I think their offense as a whole didn't need much improvement compared to their defense. So I was really surprised that they went to their defense. They can uh, get those rookies. They prioritized the defense in the draft. I think it will go always to getting them. You know, possibly pushing for that, you know, seventh wild card spot. But with, with the with the division that we're gonna talk about next, I, I think that's highly unlikely. I think the Saints and the Buccaneers will clearly be, you know, competing for that division spot, possibly even like the the a first round buy, possibly the number one seed in the conference. So in regards to the, the Panthers, I, I do like your guys' point about, you know, Luke Keekley. Um, the, the loss of Luke Keekley, I think, will impact them quite a bit. Just looking at their linebacking corps now, it's, it's not it's not going to be anywhere near that level that they had last season. So I, I reckon they'll possibly stay around the same kind of level, maybe a bit higher with Bridgewater, but I guess we'll, we'll find out. On to number two uh, – sorry, number one now – of our division power rankings, and we have the NFC West. And I think the NFC West is the clear choice here at number one. The 49ers and the Seahawks look primed to be just as good, if not better, than they were last season. Additionally, I'm predicting a Rams bounce-back season after a horror 2019 campaign. And finally, the Cardinals are set to make a massive leap, you know, after having one of the best off-seasons imaginable. I mean, they, they really struck out... It, 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 in the draft, you know, they, they got Isaiah Simmons, who's just a really, really good prospect. Obviously, they traded for DeAndre Hopkins, you know, um, 
that they went to the offensive line for help. It, it's really they really had a really great off season. Um, and as much as I think San Francisco are the favorites in this division, it, it could end up even being yeah, a four horse like race the for the title. Like, you know, with the come the end so much of the season, off season, you know, it's really boosted their legitimacy in the division. I wouldn't go as far as saying the Rams had a horror show uh, season last year. I think it was definitely a disappointing one, but they still went nine and seven. They were close to a wild card spot. You know, if they had, if we had the, you know, the three, the extra team last season, the Rams would have made the playoffs. So I think that, you know, they're definitely going to improve this season. I think, you know, they just had, you know, a Super Bowl hangover. Um, but I definitely think they're still a great team and they're going to compete with the 49ers and the Seahawks for the division. Regarding those two teams, I think that, you know, they've made, they haven't really changed all that much past year. Uh, obviously, the 49ers, they've lost, you know, DeFor- uh, DeForest Buckner and they've lost Emmanuel Sanders. They've got rookies in there to, you know, replace them. So if those rookies, you know, can live up to the expectations, the 49ers are going to be just as good, if not better. Uh, the addition of DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals is huge. And I think, you know, the Cardinals' biggest problem on offense was last year was, you know, the fact that Carla Murray was a rookie. And he had very limited weapons. I think the addition of Hopkins just elevates teams so much more. Honestly, I think any of these teams has a very legitimate chance to make the playoffs. I think that, you know, we could even see three teams go there. Yeah, and then your point about the Rams not having a horror season, I feel like it kind of was a horror season when you think about the height that they went to the season, the season previous um, you know, most were expecting them to win that Super Bowl and then for them to come back and challenge again. But really, last season, they looked like a shell of their former selves. Um, you know, they beat a lot of bad teams. that They didn't really, you know, really beat anyone really good. It was really quite a disappointing campaign. And we thought the Falcons had a Super Bowl hangover as well, but they have not been the same since. And I don't know. I mean, I think they will bounce back to some extent, but I'm not sure if they can get back to that level that they were. In I think for me, when like obviously the NFC East, sorry, NFC West, undoubtedly the best division for me. I think what proves that is just I mentioned it before when I was talking, making a point about the AFC North, how such a close division with so many you know competing teams that can all win, you know, get close winning the division. It creates that you know brilliant finish which we saw last year with, between the 49ers and Seahawks. I think that shows us just you know, especially with the additions that the Cardinals have made you know, and the Rams have made, it just shows how, like, this division is, is made, you know, to be competitive, to be close, because both teams, are, you know, all teams are so, you know, so skilled and talented. So I'm expecting this to be another close finish. Honestly, there's a possibility that all of these teams could have a 7-9 or 8-8 eight and eight or better record. I think when you look at the Cardinals, their biggest question mark is whether their offensive line can help Kyler Murray because he's an incredible talent. He's got one of the best receivers in the league now in Hopkins. And, you know, their, their defense is pretty impressive as well. They added a lot of speed. Um, in regards to the Rams, you know, they they lost Brandon Cooks, but I think they'll be able to make up for that. You know, they lost Gurley again. They, they, had, they got Cam Akers in the draft. I reckon they'll be okay. It's just all about I think the key is in this division whether they can beat the 49ers and Seahawks in their division games. We all know that the 49ers and Seahawks had an incredible season last season. My question to you, Emilian, is do you think 
the 49ers or the Seahawks will win the NFC West in 2020? Well, I think it's definitely going to be a battle between those two. I mean, the Rams could definitely shock the world and, you know, compete as well. But I definitely think right now it's between the Seahawks and the 49ers. And if I had to make a guess now, I'd say it's the Seahawks. And the reason for that is, you know, they didn't really lose anyone on the offense. They did lose Clowney on defense, but, you know, he still may sign back. But the Seahawks, you know, were one play away from winning the division last year. And we have to keep in mind that, you know, they lost both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. They did not have a run game for that last game. And the fact that they were so close shows really how good the team is as a whole under Russell Wilson. Now that wraps up our Division of Power Rankings episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. If you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Instagram. That is at touch.down.under. That is where you can find all of our podcast content as well as content which we produce and don't talk about on podcasts so make sure you follow us there we're also on twitter at the tdu podcast as well as on youtube at touch and under and we also premiere our podcasts on facebook at touch uh, sorry touch, touch, touch down under thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week